some dudes came and knocked on the door. I answered and they were like, yo, we, we need to talk to your parents. And I was like, they're not home, but I'm 18. You can talk to me. I'm a, ma- I'm a man as well. And they're like, cool, man. Uh, we just bought your house today at the foreclosure auction. Uh, we need to talk. And I'm like, oh, shit. I am not the man of the house right now. <laughs> Welcome to the Not Genius Podcast. My name is Jesse. My name is Josh. And today we got Justin Stamper. We're out here in Orlando, Florida. I met this guy out in Maui, Hawaii last month, and I'm super excited to have traveled all the way down with my crew down to Orlando, Florida. And today we got Justin. So what's up, man? How's everything going? Dude, it's super good to be here, man. I'm so excited that you guys are here. I mean, we were just in Hawaii together, what, like three weeks ago? Three weeks ago. And we are like, oh, you know, you guys got to come down to Orlando and see me. And then here we are, literally three weeks later, you guys are inside my office. We're making a podcast. I love it. Did you think Hell we yeah. were? Did you think we were actually gonna show up? Because I know a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, we should link up. We should do this or we should do that." And then they they just they just all talk. Yeah, you know? but I mean, yo, know, that's the great part about mastermind groups, though, right? Is yeah. like the whole point of being in them is to be surrounded by like minded people that actually do what they say they're gonna yeah. do. Yeah, and y'all pulled up. Dude, it's it's been such a crazy ride. I think we spent another six seven hours coming down here from Atlanta, and just like. It's beautiful. Honestly, I thought that I really enjoyed going to Atlanta and the weather was super nice. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm in summer vacation Yeah, back mode. in summer. Got back. the shorts on. How was it in Atlanta? Was it cold? No, it was, I mean, it was fine. Uh, but it was like... 77. Com- coming from Delaware, it was like, today's 55. Yeah, no doubt. You guys have real winter. Yeah. yeah we have endless summer. Yeah. We just have like not hot and then we have hot. Yeah. That's just how it goes. So yeah, half of the year it's brutal, but the other half of the year, like right now, it's paradise. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your favorite things to do like around this time of the year? Dude, just be outside. Like every day, like you just get that golden hour of the sun. I don't know. The sun's just like different in the fall in Florida. It's not as vicious. You know, it's not trying to kill you like it is the (laughs) other half of the year. Uh, So just like sitting outside, man, like all this week, I've literally taken a pop-up chair and a cooler and like built a DIY table in my front yard and just sat outside working on my laptop, letting the dogs play in the yard and just uh, literally work and watch the world like pass by. You know, it's just nice, man. So sick. Yeah. It's It's like sunny and 70. What else do you do? Right? Oh, dude, that sounds amazing. That sounds like May weather for us on the East Coast. We all, you know, I describe like perfect weather, like 70 degrees being like San Diego style weather. Yeah. We only get that maybe like three weeks out of the entire year, the entire year, you know, and you guys are like right around that season right now. Yeah. We're just lucky enough. Ours last like six months. Yeah. Dude, that's insane. But yeah, man, we just wanted to talk to you and ask you a little bit about your origin story, where you come from, like how did you um, develop personally? And a lot of this podcast, we like to talk about mindset, personal growth, entrepreneurship doesn't necessarily need to be around real estate because we try not to label ourselves as a real estate podcast because there's plenty of those, mm-hmm. right? We want to want to talk about the interesting challenges that come with figuring out how to be your own entrepreneur, your own functional entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. No so, doubt. So where did it begin for you? Um, let's see. Where did it begin? Um, so I graduated high school in 2007 mm-hmm. and then the world collapsed in 2008. My family had a small furniture company and uh, they essentially lost everything because it was uh, 
we furnished like vacation rental properties and everybody stopped traveling during the recession. You know, everybody was broke. Nobody could afford to fly across the, uh, the world to go to Disney. So business in Orlando shut down like overnight. So my family went from like having a few employees to having nobody aside from like me and whatever friends I could wrangle for the day for a hundred bucks to help me like deliver furniture. Mm -hmm. And, um, Slowly but surely, man, we just began to lose everything, you know, and eventually our house got sold at the foreclosure auction and uh, some dudes came and knocked on the door. I answered and they were like, yo, we we need to talk to your parents. And I was like, they're not home, but I'm 18. You can talk to me. I'm a a man as well. And they're like, cool, man. Uh, We just bought your house today at the foreclosure auction. Uh, We need to talk. We didn't know people lived here. Uh, but we're not trying to make y'all homeless, but we need to talk. And I'm like, oh, shit, the, I am not the man of the house right now. <laughs> I got to call I my dad, bro. <laughs> and um, so they ended up wholesaling us our house back. We borrowed private money uh, from just people we knew. And we renovated our house, sold it like two months later, made a little bit of money, gave half of the money to the people that put up the initial cash and then we kept the other half and my pops was like yo we should just like do this again like if if they can buy our house at the foreclosure auction does that mean we can go get like cheap houses at the foreclosure auction so i started buying at the auction when i was like 18 19 and stayed there buying bought like I think like 270 to like 300 houses over the next like three years of the auction. And then just everything kind of just kept rolling from there. Um, But yeah, man, just got thrown into the fire young, you know, like, I don't know. I thought I would like go to school and have a normal, you know, story, but that's not how life works. Yeah. How'd your house end up at the foreclosure auction? How'd your parents not, did they realize that it had gone that far, that deep? Um, man, the times were so bad back then. I think they just stopped like opening the mail. Oh yeah. Like it was just a pretty brutal time for us. So like, I'm pretty sure it got to a point where they just stopped opening the mail. So at 18, like that age, how are you, if you, how are you funding those houses? Was it all through private money or? Yeah. So it was all private money. So the people that put up the cash for us initially Mm -hmm. were like, Oh, okay. Like if we can like, double our money in four months let's we'll roll the dice on this again so we just like all pulled our cash together and for like the next two or three years we all flipped houses like as a team what was that like working with your family uh it was just nice to be working you know (laughs) yeah like half of orlando was unemployed or at least that's what it felt like like everybody was struggling so it was nice to just be able to work and also try to like help That's also when I started getting more into like helping people out of that situation. So it kind of like, I don't want to say I'm happy that that's how I got into real estate, but it definitely like developed this undying like mission to help people avoid ending up in the same situation we ended up in. So it kind of, I guess, chose my path, you know? So I guess I'm thankful for that at least. Um, but yeah, it was it was a weird time, man. It was a weird time. Florida and Orlando specifically got crushed in the recession. So it was just it was just a weird time, bro. People were just thankful to like work. What would you have done had you not gotten to flipping houses at 18? 
who knows, man, like questions like that in life, like it's a, yeah, it's a tough it one. Like I, I have no idea, you know, so who knows what would have happened if I like hit the red light instead of the green light, you know, five minutes ago. It's the butterfly effect, man. If you uh, think about it too much, it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. So, Dude, Justin, you're like one of the most generous people that I, I've ever met, honestly. Like when I was in Maui with you, you always talking about how you can support somebody, how you can, you know, connect this person to that person uh, inside from inside of this little mastermind to your world of, you know, expansive contacts, uh, contacts and Rolodex. It was just nuts. And I just wanted to know, like, where did that heart for giving to others, serving others and building others up come from? Because that's not, that's something that people spend their, sometimes their entire lives trying to figure out how can I be more humble, more generous. And it just seemed like, was that something you were raised in? Um, I think for me, probably, hmm, I think it's because I don't know where I would be without the people that extended the olive branch to me and the people that gave me their attention and like mentorship when I needed it. Um, I think that's what it is, man, is like, like, cause I didn't go to college. Like I've never done a day of college. So it's not like I have some like crazy degree to be like, I'm qualified for this, you know, uh, I'm qualified for nothing as like an 18 year old, uh, except for the like friendships and relationships and mentorships I can like cultivate. So I spent my entire youth just trying to cultivate relationships with people that were like older and more experienced and where I wanted to be in life. And now that like 13 years has gone by since then, I'm now at the same place that I can help people trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if that's how I came up, then it only seems fair that that's how I can help other people come up, you know, because you just got to pay it forward. Like if you're going to receive blessings, you better be giving them right back out. Mm -hmm. That's how it should work. Right. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. So how are you uh, like building all these contacts and finding these mentors? Yeah. So it started at just like the boys club at the foreclosure auction. It was like 20 of the same dudes every single day of the week. And I was super young. I was like the youngest person there by easily like 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they were just a lot more receptive to helping me out because they were like, oh shit, it's the 18 year old kid that Kevin and his team bought their house. Like, like, ah, it's the kid, you know, like, I, I don't know. I was just like the kid, <laughs> so, like it, it started with just like 20 of these dudes, like flipping houses, building, being landlords, taking me under their wing. And this was like, OG bigger pockets, you know, like it, this was my local RIA meeting tucked inside of a courthouse of dudes that I'm working with. So then, uh, as like time went by and the auction went online that's when I got into like off market and wholesaling. So I would wholesale the dudes from the auction, the off market properties that I would find. So in being the supplier of houses for people, I was able to like gain their friendship and also mentorship because I was like, all right, I can wholesale to them and they'll teach me the ins and out of flipping, being a landlord, building, whatever it is they're good at. As long as I can add value to their life, 
they can add value to my life. So like you're coming up with these like symbiotic relationships. That was like the whole thing was like, how do I make this a relationship that benefits everybody so that when I call them with a question, they actually answer and take the time out of their day. And so like that was such a big part of the come up that that's why I just try to pay it forward with what I do as well. I really want to know like specifically who could you attribute call uh, you calling like your mentor or one of your maybe like top three like name like a person and then how did that relationship or what was that relationship like because I always love talking about the stories of okay for instance I have these people named Tom and Ellen back at home Mm -hmm. who are they've been landlords since 1982 and personally I just cold called them because I had VAs that had hit them and like they were seller financing houses for me and I still work with them to this day and they are doing seller finance notes and they're lending private money to me and they're giving me a lot of advice. And like, I asked them about the recession. I talked to them. You know, I just want to know like who's been, you know, that type of person for you in your life and what was that relationship like, you know, through, you know, you developing the early stages of your real estate career. That's a great question. Um, the first person that comes to my mind is this dude named Mike Manuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like 21 years old. I had a house for sale on Craigslist or like a bandit sign or something. But somebody calls me from a number like, yo, I see this house advertised. Can I look at it? I'm like, yeah, cool. I'll meet you there. So I pull up, meet him, give him my business card. Um, and the guy was like, Justin Stamper, uh, is your dad named Johnny? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, dude, you used to live in Windermere? And I was like, yeah. He's like, bro, I used to be your dad's like uh, business account manager at the local bank. Uh, last time I saw you, you were in like sixth grade. We played golf together. Do you remember that? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that's crazy. And he was like, what are you up to? And I was like, I'm wholesaling houses. What about you? And he's like, I'm flipping houses. I was like, oh, tight. And then uh, he ended up buying that house from me. And uh, from then on, he bought like it seemed like he was buying a house a week from me. Like he was doing good projects. And um, I we just became good friends. You know, I would always be like, hey, can I take you out for a beer? Can we do dinner? Like every time you would buy a house, we would like go out to dinner and like I it just became really valuable. And since he came from banking, he understood the world of creative finance way before it was like a buzzword on Instagram. You know, like the this, I mean, we're going back to like 2010 and um, he was the very first person that introduced me to the world of like creative finance and doing real estate deals with no money involved. And that changed everything for me. And he's still a really good friend. Um, he owns one of my favorite restaurants in New Smyrna. So I luckily still get to see him like once a week. And anytime I have a creative finance call, he's still the very first person I call because uh, he changed the game for me, man. Because when you can figure out how to use other people's money, that's when real estate ramps up quick, you know? So how was that like making you know a lot of money from doing wholesaling houses and then learning how to do creative finance? Like how did you manage it? Because my first two years of doing house flipping, I was not very good with the books at all. And it made me feel like, yeah, I was making a lot of money. But then when we were just calculating everything like this past year, backtracking the last two years, it just did not look super pretty. 
So literally, how do you fin- like figure out how do you manage your money and how did you ma- like manage your money? I think I've done a really good job at being frugal because like everybody I grew up with, uh, like the, the older people, like my parents, friends, when the economy was booming, everybody had a Porsche or a fancy truck or, you know, a sports car. Everybody was like getting custom made suits, like in the mortgage heyday in Orlando, when like every single person could sell a loan five times and they're making crazy points on it. Dude, I'm you're you're talking like easy money just getting blown everywhere. And um then it all got taken away overnight. Like overnight everybody in the mortgage industry went broke, all the realtors went broke. Like Orlando just got smashed. So I saw all these cats that I once upon a time looked up to because they had all the flashy things lose everything in a year. So I always told myself we're never going through that again. Like we are getting our money. Our money is a tool. Our money keeps a roof over our head. It's not meant to go buy fancy sports cars with until you have enough money to go and do that. You know, um, like what did Jay-Z say? If you can't buy it three times, you shouldn't buy it at all. So yeah, you know, something like that. Um, so I've always just been really frugal, you know, like I had roommates until, I was like 27. Um, I've always lived in multifamily property that I own the building. Um, I've never driven a new car. So it's just like, how do we use our money as a tool? And so I'm I'm not going to say it was easy. And like every year I learn how to be more organized because nothing's worse than like going into tax season, not even knowing your numbers, you know? Um, But yeah, bro, I just never like blew money. So because I always had goals, like I knew I didn't want to wholesale forever because wholesaling, you're only as good as your last transaction. You're not really investing. Like I'm seeing these cats that I'm selling rentals to and I'm like, man, you get to sit back and just collect rent from a hundred houses every month. You're making a million dollars a year just collecting rent. I got, I got to be like that. I want that. And I knew like, why, why am I going to go buy a fancy car when I can't even afford my first rental? Yeah. So I just saved, man. I just saved and saved and saved. Like I said, I lived with like three of my buddies inside of a big house downtown. It was like a frat house, you know, but our rent was so cheap because it was four of us in a yeah. big old house. And we did that until, yeah, I was 27 when I bought my first primary residence. Mm-hmm. I'd flipped like over, I'd flipped hundreds of houses before I ever bought my own. Because it just wasn't a priority and I was waiting for the perfect multifamily. And then that perfect multifamily came and full price offered day one. And I was like, all right, now we now we go from roommates to living in this where our tenants pay for the mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know, just doing it the yeah. old school way. Yeah. Yeah. You talk about the progression from being a wholesaler to being a flipper to then being on TV. And then like talk to us about what zombie house flipping is. Yeah, man. So Zombie House Flipping is our show on A&E. We just finished our, I think, fifth season. Uh, Just dropped like a month ago. And uh, essentially, it's me, a couple of my friends, and we're just renovating some real filthy houses right here in Orlando, Florida, man. How old were you when you started? I was 24 when I got invited to do it. Yeah. And now here we are nine years later. So what makes Zombie House Flipping such an engaging or entertaining show. 
I think it's the extent of our renovations, you know, just we do monster renovations, you know, like like I, we were talking about earlier uh, this year, we did like a $400,000 renovation. I mean, you can build a new house for that same amount that we spent renovating. So it's cool to see such massive transformation. I think that's what people like about it, just because yeah. we take such gross houses and then make them hopefully look beautiful, uh, better than they've ever looked before. So I think people like that, it's just such a big renovation. So how did that um, offer even come about? Yeah, so um, we were on the front page of the paper uh, back in like 2014, uh, me and my buddy Duke. And um, like two weeks later, uh, Pilgrim Productions, uh, which makes like all of Mike Rose shows, like Dirtiest Jobs, Deadliest Catch, they must have been like perusing the internet like, just Googling buzzwords like Orlando house flipping, Orlando real estate, whatever. And our newspaper article must have been like one of the top results. Um, they tracked down the number to our office, called uh, my partner Ashley answered. She thought it was a prank. Um, I called back uh, to figure out what was going on and see why these people were kept calling our office. And they were like, yo, this is not a prank. Like, Hop, let's set up a Skype interview. Let's chat. Like, this is real. We just want to talk. And we shut up a Skype, and sure enough, it was real, man. And they flew out, like, three weeks later, filmed, like, a pilot with us. And then, like, five months went by. We didn't hear anything. And we got that, like, welcome to Hollywood phone call. And they're like, y'all want to make a TV show? Because Disney and A&E just bought it. And we were like, all right, I guess wow. we'll make a TV show. And so, yeah, I just invited my three friends to do it, and we just started cranking out houses. Now, when you're, like, at filming, is, do you, like, are you acting different than you usually would, like, adding more drama? Or do they just, like, follow you and then cut it up to however they want it? Yeah, I wish it could be, like, where they just followed us and saw real life. But filming is super expensive. You know, like, the disc alone that they film on, are like a couple hundred bucks like per floppy disk and you get 25 minutes of filming on it. Um, so like, I don't know, I would say, I think our director of photography told me it's like almost $5,000 like an hour wow. to essentially assemble the crew and then put footage through post-production. And there are so many moving parts and so many people that like have specific jobs to accomplish, like the task at hand that everything is like very organized. So like, when we show up to film, we show up to film. Mm -hmm. So like we're sitting in my office right now. We film here a bunch. I know that like at 9 a.m. I'm filming here at the office. And so that means our crew's here at like 8 a.m. Setting up lights, getting things ready to go. We show up at 9, get mic'd up. Uh, we talk about the scene that we're about to film. Talk about the goal at hand that we're trying to achieve with the scene and television is like formulaic, you know, so like there's like a, a discovery, um, a problem, and then like, you know, an act out breakout on that drama and then commercial break resolution. And that's like the formula that almost all television is like, you know, like filmed on. And essentially everything's like a crescendo to a commercial break and then a resolution on the other side of that commercial break. So we just like... You get used to the formula. Uh -huh. So, like, you understand, like, okay, this scene is a, like, cliffhanger scene. Okay. So, we all come here and 
it's not scripted mm-hmm. like we but we just know the goal we're trying to accomplish so like when we say action we'll just start like chatting like just spitting it like making things up freestyling but we all know like the whole point of the scene is to arrive here mm-hmm. so yeah it's kind of just like improv you know, and like you get used to it. Like the first year is really weird, but you know, like we've been doing it for like nine years. So like it's, it's everybody kind of knows what they're doing. Uh-huh. You learn how to like keep track of the cameras. You learn how to like, if you turn directions, not show the like other people on the other side of the camera, know like your audio guy, the PAs, cause like filming's a, a production, you know, like we travel around with like five sprinter vans and like 20 people at a time. You know, like when we go out to lunch, if it's like a small restaurant, we're like the entire restaurant, you know, because like we're just it takes a lot of people to do it. Um, So, yeah, man, it's like just it's there's a system to it and you just like achieve the goals at hand. But, yeah, I thought I thought they would just follow us around. That's what I was hoping (laughs) for. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that sounds chill. Like, you know, just hook us up with some GoPros. We'll be good to go. Um, but yeah, then you pull up and you see it's a full blown production, but it makes sense. You know, it's weird to see the sausage get made, but it makes sense after a while. It sounded like you had momentum going on in your actual professional career. Where did you think you were going to go with, you know, that publicity? I mean, dude, I was 24. Yeah. I was just like, this seems like it has legs. Like you got to roll the dice, you know, like that's, I, I, I feel like I've always had that attitude about life. Like if a chance present itself, like roll the dice on it. If it seems like it could be a good idea. And I was like, I'm sure this will be a good idea. Right. You know, like renovate houses on TV with my friends and then maybe people will watch it and know who we are. Why not? Let's do it. Like I didn't have anything better to do at 24 or at least that's what it felt like. And it was really fun, man. Like, the memories will last a lifetime of it. So I'm super glad we rolled the dice on it. Even if we only filmed a pilot, it still would be, like, a fun experience to say that you did, you know? Yeah. Like, if I was, like, a kid and I got to be on, like, Slime Time Live, like, I would still think about it as an adult and be like, yo, that was lit. That one time we were on Slime Time Live, you know, like, (laughs) that was lit. So, yeah. Um, But, yeah, man, the opportunity presented itself, and I was like, shit, if you guys want to follow my dumbass around, let's go. I don't think I'm that interesting, but if you think I'm interesting, let's <laughs> let's figure it out. So, what was the article that had them interested in you? Yeah, um, it was about like houses. It was about the Orlando housing crisis, and it was um, pictures of a historic house we were renovating, literally just like five minutes down the road from where we're sitting right here, um, and it was like a foreclosed historic house that got we bought at the auction and the article was just all about the orlando uh housing crisis because like i said it was in the thick of the recession and we were getting smashed still um so yeah it was just literally an article about what we are still doing which is renovating old destroyed houses dude i want to talk about what you were talking to me about in maui in regards to um teaching people who don't know better about real estate how to essentially um and i'm gonna need you to help me fill in the dots because you were talking to me about how people were criticizing you for trying to teach people how to get into real estate or to own the property or um oh locally yeah man um 
I think I know what we were talking about when we were um, helping people, like how we got nicknamed the Robin Hoods of real yes. estate. Yeah, yes, no that. doubt. Yeah. So what we were doing, um, there's kind of like a few moving parts to it, but I'll break it down the best I can um, in a in a nutshell. So there was a hedge fund out of Miami that had like a five-year exit strategy on property. They wanted to buy property, uh, renovate it, put tenants in it, and then sell it in five years. So we were wholesaling houses to them that fit their buy box. Um, then I was approached by a friend of mine who was like, yo, we can, here's what I'm thinking. I met with this attorney. He said he'll represent people who are doing short sales uh, for free pro bono and get paid on the back end by the bank. Then I met with a credit repair company that said they'll do the same. The hedge fund will buy these houses. The homeowner can stay in them and they'll rent the houses back from the hedge fund and then we'll fix their credit and so after that five years goes by and they're eligible to buy a house again, they can buy the house back from the hedge fund and never lose their house. And I was like, yo, that's a brilliant idea. Like, that's such a good idea. Let's do this. So we started doing this. Um, Tim was uh, Tim grew up in Carver Shores, which is uh, historically like an all black neighborhood in downtown Orlando that it really got hit hard by the recession. A lot of like people were losing their houses. It just wasn't good and nobody was there to like save them except so the community was relying on community leaders and just people to help out. And that's where Tim came up with this idea, helping his local community. And so we started going to like churches. We started meeting with community leaders and just letting them know like, hey, if you know people in foreclosure, we can short sale, you know, we can do this process that I just described where they get to stay in their house, become a tenant, and then buy their house back hopefully in five years. Um, so we started doing that and getting people cash for keys back in the day when they were still doing that. And people were getting money to start their life over again. And uh, yeah, bro, we did it for like a year and they made it illegal, which is crazy. And they're like, if you short sale your house, you shouldn't be allowed to stay as a tenant. That was all the law was like, it matters who the tenant would be. So literally they just made it illegal and we refused to stop doing it because why would, why would, would you make something illegal when you're just trying to help the community and not become homeless? So we just got nicknamed the Robin Hoods of real estate because we refused to stop. And I'm glad we did, bro. Cause like it was, like you said, you're just trying to serve people, yeah. you know, it doesn't seem right to kick people out of their house, especially if you brought a solution that's a win-win for everybody. Like nobody is affected by this except for Wall Street fat cats. We already bailed them out. So why are they still talking? Mm -hmm. So what happened after they made it illegal and you kept on going? Was there a point that they start policing it and then it made it harder for you guys to keep on doing what you guys were doing? Uh, yeah, they started to like change the underwriting mm -hmm. for um, like getting loans in the future like um they just started making it more and more difficult and you had to like prove things more there were just more hoops that you started to have to jump through and yeah i mean we got threatened by multiple banks that they were going to sue us and yada yada um but like i said we just never stopped um until like the steam ran out on that um because you know 
whatever. If you're going to take me to jail for helping people, then whatever. Come get me. Yeah. So what other like big ideas in serving others have you come up with since then? Because it just seems like your mind is always running. You're you're definitely a visionary. Right? Uh, appreciate that, man. <laughs> um, for me, dude, I want to figure out how to eliminate food waste. Really? Yeah, man. It drives me so crazy. It drives me so crazy. And like, we don't have a food shortage. We There is so much food to feed the entire world. It's just we have a food waste problem. And I think it's never going to change in America without the private sector leading the way and showing that it can be a profitable industry. And if you look at like South Korea, they've got their food waste down to a science and they started making some of the best livestock feed in the world. And uh, the pigs they're feeding this like food waste byproduct have won like the best pigs in the world the last couple of years. And it's private sector uh, companies leading the way in South Korea and they're crushing. And I'm like, why hasn't America adapted to this? And why hasn't the private sector stepped in and like revolutionized food waste in America? So if I had to like choose a new product, that would be something that I would be super passionate about because the private sector will figure it out eventually. It's just who uh, who's going to get that started, you know, or be the first to accomplish it. So is there like a company that I guess just like is buying or like collecting the wasted food and then they, I'm guessing they sell it to farms or something like that? Yeah, like kind of like in South Korea, what they do yeah. is there are like... They look kind of like uh, what you'd put your mail in, you know, like a post office box on the sidewalk. Yeah. But it has like a scale and you like put your food waste on it and like there's one for meats and like dairy or whatever. And then there's one for like just veggies and whatnot. So you go to the one that's like designated for that food waste. You weigh it and um, you get like a deposit back, I, I believe is how it works. So like... If you're you if you're using a lot of food waste, you have to pay a tax on it. And I think if you're under the food waste limit, you get like your deposit back or something. Like they've like involved monetary in it yeah. somehow. And then these private companies come, they collect out of like the certain containers. So, like, you know, one company that's making we'll say livestock feed is like, I only want veggie compost. So like they collect all the veggie compost and then they take it to their factory sanitize it make this food blend and then they sell it to the farmers um so it seems like people are making money at multiple levels including i believe the money that you pay for food waste and whatnot goes to like the local city government so it seems kind of like a win-win all around um but it's just like these robot machines that they have on the sidewalk that you just like bring your food waste to and it handles the rest yeah it's pretty cool and like we should have that here Especially if you had to pay for your food waste, you know, yeah. people would rethink oh, yeah. how much they waste oh, yeah. if it's they like had going to pay to the for it. All you can eat sushi <laughs> restaurant, and then all yeah. of a sudden, if you don't yeah. finish this food, it's a it's fifty cents a piece. Absolutely. But so, do you think that would make Americans more fat? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. No. They would just spend what they would eat. Yeah, I think it would make Americans more food conscious. Yeah. You know, because if you're going to like. Costco and you're buying a hundred hot dog buns, are you actually going to eat a hundred hot dogs or throw a huge barbecue in the next two weeks? Cause that's like how long you got, you know? Yeah. So how much of that food ends up in the trash? But the, the saddest part that I see is the actual supermarkets wasting, you yeah. know, mm. like 
when, if you go to the back of a like a supermarket at like midnight and see how much food they set out by the dumpster, you're just like, oh my god! It's like not even 100% bad food, and it's just like the homeless people go in there, they fish it out, and that's what they survive on. Yeah, dude, expiration dates are ridiculous. You know, like they don't make sense, man. Um, it's really just like to protect lawsuits. Like honey has an expiration date. Honey doesn't expire, you know? And back in the day, dude, expiration dates were like, smell it. Does it smell okay? All right. Next test. Taste it. Does it taste okay? All right. Perfect. It's not bad, you know? But nowadays people be like, oh, it's one day expired. Throw it in the (laughs) trash. I'm like, what are we doing? We're just wasting things, man. They should like, because I, so the other day I was at the supermarket and I wanted salmon but it was like it was like nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, damn, like I'm really paying the same price for this salmon that's been sitting out the entire day. But I bet if like there was a as the day goes by or something like that, it's probably harder to do with like salmon stuff that expires quicker. But like as the day goes by, the price is cheaper. Yeah, uh, one of our markets here, like at the right before they. St- close up shop if they have like rotisserie chicken or fried chicken still out they'll make it like bogo for like the last half hour they're open so you know if you're like lucky enough to be grocery shopping at 9 30 at night (laughs) snap up two for one chickens but yeah no they definitely should i know at our supermarket i always get like the ugly like produce and i'm like yo if i don't buy this y'all are definitely throwing this in the trash tonight but can i get that half off and like half of the time it works. Really? Yeah. Sometimes they'll just be like, you're right. That is an ugly tomato. That thing's free. I think should go in the trash. And I'm like, no, that tomato's still cool. Wow. Dude, you get, it's not what uh, you get what you ask for. You get what you negotiate. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. That's a good idea. Just go get the ugly fruit or vegetables at the supermarket. And ask for a discount. Ask for a discount. Yeah. Oh it's like going to Walmart and buying like, like a fucked up box and be like, hey, like. All day. Yeah. And you always get like 10, 20% off. Yeah. So why not? You know? And then you could ask them for the family discount too. Yeah. Dude, just keep hustling it. Put it on a credit card that you just opened that has a reward you're going to hit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just keep it rolling, dude. So you think you're actually going to pursue that solution for food waste in the near future? Um, not Probably not in the near future. Yeah. It would just be like a dream. You know, like if that was like the next problem to solve. That's something that gets me riled up. And that's what you should like follow, right? Like things that get you riled up, that you're passionate about, gives you that fire to go out there and solve a problem. So what's the fire that's currently lighting in you that you're trying to, you know, um, solve whatever problem or whatever thing that's driving your purpose at the moment? So that's a good question. I think right now for me, it is a personal goal for the next like year is just finding fulfillment like i feel like i've accomplished uh i've accomplished things that i set out to do and the next task at hand for me is feeling like everything's come full circle and that you know i deserve to be where i am and uh that life is you know good because life is what you make it you know like you can be happy anywhere as long as you figure out how to be happy up here and be happy with who you are so you know it's not like 
bank account number. It's not how many doors in your portfolio. It's not about how many transactions you do a year. At the end of the day, it's about, are you happy with yourself? And I feel like I spent a lot of my 20s like kind of maybe not sacrificing that, but putting it a little bit more on the back burner than it should. And I did that in exchange for burning the candle at both ends and just trying to get as far ahead in my career as I could. And now that I've achieved certain goals and I can let off the gas a little, now it's time to like figure out like who are we? How do we find fulfillment? How do we feel like we're serving people? How do we feel like we're making the most out of life? Because life goes by quick, man. You know, like like we were chatting earlier about how people are getting younger and younger in real estate. You know, and once upon a time, we were calling us the youngest in the game. Now, if I called myself the youngest in the game, I would get laughed out. Of, I would definitely get laughed out of this room. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? I'm the oldest in the game in this room by probably like seven, eight years. Um, so... But it happened, or at least it felt like in a blink of an eye. And now I understand as the years go by, when people are just like, it goes by quick. Enjoy the ride. It's not about the destination. It goes by quick. And now that I'm seeing that picture more and more clearly, I want to focus on just a better version of myself. Like, how do I become a better man? Mm -hmm. So that's like the ROI that I'm looking for. Um, I was chatting with some friends from Kiawe Outdoors out when we were out in Maui and uh, Shua, uh, Shua Goodman, the owner of the company, he said, we're not looking for ROIs, we're looking for ROX and that's return on men's souls of how to be better men. And he was telling me about this idea he had and it's resonated with me, man. I, I think about it every day and like how can we make ourselves and our community better men. But uh, this year, I'm just trying to sharpen my own knife because, you know, you can't teach something until you master it yourself. So that's my goal at the moment. So what are you doing on a practical basis to try to find that life's purpose, to find more of that meaning? Okay. So I think a lot for me, it is destroying like feedback loops in my brain and changing like how I understand anxiety problems and like open loops in my head. Um, So a lot of it has been like reminding myself like, Hey, you're a hundred percent in control of how you feel right now. Like that other person might be making you feel this way, but you're allowing it to happen. So if you just shut that down right now, you control how the future is going to pan out because you can either argue with that person the very next time you talk because you're upset with them, or you can understand that you're allowing yourself to feel that way. You can release that, try to look at it from a more like stoic uh, viewpoint of, you know, they're not maliciously trying to hurt me. I'm just reacting this way. I am in control of how I react. So I'm going to go into this next encounter trying to have the best possible outcome. So that has required a lot of like being humble, reaching out first, you know, to solve a problem instead of like being like, okay, we're not going to talk. Okay. 
oh, okay, we're just not going to talk, you know? And like, you can do that all day long with friends, family, business partners, et cetera. Um, or you can just reach out if you actually feel some type of way and be like, hey, this made me feel this way. Uh, I un- Can you explain to me where you're coming from? And like, I don't know, man, just like trying to go into things, solving a problem and not reacting emotionally that's been like, that's been the hardest thing is like just control, understanding I only control what's up to the tip of tips of my fingers and everything outside of that is outside of my control. And then just like accepting your fate and realizing that you don't have to like fight your way out of it. Sometimes you can just like take a deep breath, accept it and go about your day, you know? So I think about the Stoics a lot for that. They were pretty good at it. Um, but it's tough, man. You know, you find yourself, I remind myself 20 times a day, like, yo, you're allowing yourself to feel that way. Yeah. You know, that this is your problem. It's not anybody else's problem. This is an internal problem. Deal with it internally. And that's a big mindset shift, you know, because yeah. it's real easy to blame people. But if if your mind isn't on a leash and it's just dancing around, dude, your mind's a blabbling book of bullshit. Like it's, it's going to get you in trouble. You got to put that thing on a leash. Yeah. So it's uh, it's tough though. You know, it takes a lot of work, man. That's why I like meditating so hard. Like I'll count my breaths and I'll restart if my mind wanders. And dude, it's hard to make it to 10. Like it takes the first like 20 minutes of meditating for me to like c- count to 10 without letting my mind wander. It's tough, bro. And that's something I do every day. It's tough. So who do you want future Justin Stamper to be and what do you think is the gap between who you are today and who do you want to be i think the justin stamper i want to be is a good friend that is caring and just providing you know and just like adding value like giving way more than i take and um i think the the thing that separates probably most goals in life is discipline you know um discipline is tough that i mean it's discipline for a reason <laughs> but discipline also equals freedom when you figure it out so um yeah i think that i'm constantly just trying to get better at being a more disciplined person while also not letting it suck all the fun out of life mm. because sometimes it feels like you either have to be one or the other but that's no fun. Like you don't want to be the person that says no to everything because you want to wake up at three 30 in the morning, go to the gym by four 30 and have 800 emails sent by the time the sun comes up. You know, like that's a tough life. That life involves going to bed at like seven 30 at night and being very regimented and, you know, supreme athletes and supreme businessmen. And, you know, pretty much anybody that's like supreme at what they do lives a life like that. And that's totally cool, man. Like nobody is half-assing their way to being Kobe. But I, me personally, don't necessarily need to be the like extreme version of success. Like I would be happy with just like a nice, modest life. So it's the balance that you search for in like being disciplined, but also not letting all the fun and joy get taken away from life. Um, So yeah, that's... um. I think working on just finding that balance while also just like keeping your eye on the prize, which is at the end of the day, just being the best version of yourself. 
Because that's all we can be. Like, we can sit here and compare ourselves to people all day long, but that's not serving anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, you should just compare yourself to who you were yesterday and try to be a better version of that, even if it's just one little tiny thing the next day. You know, it's just, at the end of the day, it's one foot in front of the other. Yeah. That's all it is, man. So how do you balance having fun and being disciplined? Like, do you have like a set schedule that you're like, I'm going to work now and then I'm going to have fun now or... No, because uh, fun is spontaneous most of the time, right? Yeah. You know, like planned fun always feels corny. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I try to keep, you know, the ability to be flexible with my schedule open to the best of my ability. Like, obviously, if like you have a catastrophic things going on at renovations or whatever, like you should be there on the job site taking care of them. But if it's a slow day, like if we're at the office and it's a slow day and the beach house is open... I'll just ask my team and be like, can everybody work from their phones or laptops today? And if the answer is yes, we'll pile in the truck and go to the beach house for the day and just work outside by the pool and go kick it on the beach. Um, Because that's like why we get into real estate, right? You're like, we we want freedom. And um, so I definitely try to enjoy that freedom. But as far as the discipline goes, for me, a lot of it, man, is like I'm a natural night owl. And it's so easy for like my schedule to get flipped to where my body wants to stay up until three, four in the morning. But personally, I know I'm way more productive if I'm out of bed by like seven, seven thirty. So for me, the hard part of discipline is not letting that natural night owl switch happen because then, you know, I'm going to bed at three thirty, even if I shut all the lights off and I'm just laying there listening to like an audiobook. I'll look at my phone and be like, oh, I'm still not asleep. It is four in the morning. And then that alarm still goes off at seven. Mm-hmm. So you're like, damn, another night of three hours of sleep. Um, so that's like the tough one, you know, because if you if you let that cycle happen, your body's just going to do what it likes most, you know. So for me, that's the discipline I got to do is like, all right, it's time to shut her down. Time to go to bed. Have you hired any coaches or are you currently being mentored personally? by somebody that you look up to that you're trying to be more like or what's that journey look like or it's just you personally and you have like accountability systems or how do you go about that? Um, For me, I think most of the accountability systems that we have in place are through like our friends and mastermind groups. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't personally have like a business development coach, but I will say it is something that I've been thinking a lot about because my friends that do have them like one-on-one coaching have found great success from it. And they are people that, uh, you know, I guess back in the day I used to look down. I think I was just kind of like bred to look down on like the whole like guru limelight nonsense because it was being like shoved down your throat and it looked corny you know um at the end of the day like i just thought it was super corny and then the more and more i found out that like the top leaders of like all industries have consultants and coaches and advisors at like helping them with all decisions including personal ones and like being better you know and like uh as soon as i realized that like it was self-development and like a team helping everybody move forward that i respected i realized oh man like how long have i been a fool thinking that i can do this on my own that i somehow know better 
than the professionals. So when I just like surrendered to the professionals and started like listening to their advice, you see that like uh, it can really change and it changes things quickly. So honestly, on my like list of things that I potentially want to do next year is hire a full-time business coach um, to just, you know, take it to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it was a friend recently who she just got offered $20 million for her company when she told me about how her business coach is getting her company ready to sell for a hundred million. I was like, wait, you have a business coach and he's, he's holding your hand through the process of building your company to sell for a hundred million dollars. Like, yo, can you introduce me? Like, that sounds like something that everybody should have. Like, why did I not know about this? So yeah, it, it changes your way of thinking when you realize that like everybody's doing it, you know, it's kind of like when you find out that everybody is probably going to therapy or has at some point, you're like, Oh wait, I thought this was a secret. (laughs) (laughs) And then you find out that like everybody has at one point done it and you're like oh okay well then why aren't we all talking about this you know why aren't we all talking about self-development coaches business coaches mastermind groups mentorships like why isn't that even being like shown to the youth why do we have to go find it through our own communities and outreach and thank god for the internet now we have the ability to like all become friends because we share the same mindset because once upon a time man that was tough you know you might be into something but you live in a small town and there's no internet, you, you might think you're the only person that's into that thing. But the internet opened up that door so cats like us can connect from all over the world. And that's really cool. And we're all seeing in our lifetime how quickly it's changing everything. So what's the pivotal moment in your life? Because for me, I was just a one-man band back in like, you know, last year, August 2021, when I went to Maui for the first time and I hung out with Brandon, I hung out with Taro, and I didn't dream about building a bigger team but i didn't know that that was necessarily out there for me because it just always felt like something out of reach but after i went there i decided to invest a lot into myself so i'm just asking you like when or when or like what was that moment that made you decide i'm gonna start investing heavily into myself i think it for me it was as soon as i covered my cost of living um And I had the ability to like see how much if I could just figure out how to cover all of my bills and make that financial burden go away, then that's how like that was like it unlocked because once I like actually saw it happen, it was like everything shifted and it was like, oh, that's how wealthy people get wealthy. Like they start covering all of their costs and they just get paid to be alive. Okay, so like the I feel like the financial world just started to make so much more sense. And then um, I felt like, because for me, it's tough to like see past the blurred line of like professional life and personal life because I work with my friends uh, and I am from Orlando. So I know half of the town and it kind of just feels like everything is just a blend of personal and business um and that's how it's like always been so as like the keys started being unlocked as far as my mindset went for financial then i also realized like oh i should also become a more like emotionally mature person and a better leader if i'm going to like because they go hand in hand so if i'm gonna build out my company and have a team well then i should figure out how to be a good leader 
And if I'm going to try to make more money, I should figure out how to be mature with it, you know? And if I want to, if I want to have deep relationships with people, I should figure out how to be a great friend and be emotionally mature and not somebody that's like super emotionally responsive, you know, just kind of like, it just kind of felt like the process went hand in hand. And so, but I think honestly, man, uh, financial, I don't want to call it freedom cause it wasn't, but just like as soon as life stopped costing so much and I was old enough to understand how people were building these rental portfolios that were like providing for their life, that was like the paradigm shift. And then that like catalyst, everything else. And I just never looked back, man. Just never looked back. Just tried to keep getting better year after year. Um, cause I was young, man, you know, when, when I was young, I was a fool. I still feel like I'm a fool. So every year I'm just trying to like get better because every five years you look back, you're like, oh, I was so dumb when I was that age. And that from what I'm from what I'm told uh, never stops, you know, so we'll be like 65 years old and be like, oh, when I was 60, I was such a fool, you know, like we're always looking back and reevaluating. So the goal is to just keep on getting better so you don't have to look back as much and beat yourself up. Because if I look, if I compared myself now to who I was when I was like 21, boy, I could, I could, I'd be beating myself up all day, you know, but luckily I did my best to learn from my mistakes and just try not to repeat them in the, in the future. Dude, that was so freaking good. I love it when you mentioned like the cause and effect, like, Hey, if I'm going to do this, for instance, you know, I got married like three months ago and it's just like, if I'm going to be a husband, how am I going to be the best freaking husband that I possibly can? So I need to go possibly get some marriage counseling well like you said it seems like counseling is one of those things that you go to when you have major problems well if you go to them when you have major problems it may be a little too late because it's a very very deep wound so that's something i'm trying to explore in my personal life and it's like same thing when you say oh if i'm going to be money how do i figure out how to be wise with this money you know how do i steward this well how do i stretch it to make it to its highest potential because you know, what got me here, like the same thing that got me here is not going to be the same thing that gets me there. I'm going to need to level up and redevelop my strategy because I can't be doing the same strategy from, you know, zero to a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand to a million, a million, to 10 million, you know, all those things continuously adapt and change. And so do you as a person, as you change those strategies. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. I mean, we're constantly pivoting. You know, as small business owners and entrepreneurs, that is like one of our main skill sets is the ability to like pivot and adjust to keep, you know, everybody rowing the boat in the same direction. And we have to do that emotionally as well, because if you don't emotionally mature, but your business does, well, then what happens if you're like the guy that has, even if it's just a couple people looking up to and you're still the like emotional level of uh, like an 18 year old and you're throwing temper tantrums or whatever, you know, you're only going to have those people's respect as long as they'll tolerate that behavior, which probably isn't too long. But if you want to grow your team, then you have to be somebody that people want to come and believe in your vision and think that you are uh, qualified enough as a leader, even if it's just with emotional foresight to get them to the promised land because that's the whole thing about like building out a team is you have to share your vision and then have them believe in that same vision so that they can dedicate what they're good at 
and everybody, you know, hopefully gets to the promised land. Like that's what I tell my team all the time. I'm like, if you guys can just handle the details, I promise I will get us there and we will all win. And when, and they believe that mission statement from us, which is why, you know, we've had staff that has worked with us since the day we opened our doors. That's like half of our team. And it's been, I think, eight years now since we opened, which is pretty long retention for like realtors. You know, realtors will bop around or like not be realtors in eight years. Um, but it's because people believed in us. And now, you know, the guys that came on as rookies that had never done a deal are building and flipping with us eight years later and they know construction as well as anybody else you know um so when people believe in you you got to give them a purpose and to i don't know any uh emotionally immature people that can like con people into believing to their mission longer than a couple months before people would be like yeah dude i'm not dealing with the temper tantrums i'm gonna go to another team you know so yeah, sure. you got to develop if you want to if you want to keep everything moving on the up and up you got to keep on moving with it and that requires being a good man hopefully yeah. yeah so was it ever hard selling that vision or like with the people you were around like did you ever have to cut anyone out because like either they were i guess like negative about what you're trying to do or i mean i guess that's a base thing like yeah um, for sure, man. I mean, sometimes people just don't fit and it's not necessarily their fault. It's not your fault. Not every job is suited for every person, you know? So it's really just finding the right people for the right seats. And if people are going to suck all the fun out of it and you want to have a fun culture, then you either need to like give them an independent role that they can't like plague the other the office with you know you don't want like a negative sales guy or a negative acquisitions guy or whatever um that is on a team that can like because negativity is pretty infectious um but if like you have a one person it and they are negative and like it's not affecting your sales or your acquisitions then sure i guess just give them their own office and let them go be Lock them in there. yeah just let them go be grumpy and really good at it um so it's really just finding the right people for the right seats. But yeah, you always got to cycle through, man. You know, well, they say like slow to hire, quick to fire. And you just got to keep on going through it. But, you know, I just try not to like look at it as like they did something wrong or we did something. As long as like there was like nothing malicious, you know, like I've hired people who I found out like broke into our uh online server and like stole all of our like uniquely written for us contracts uh like media uh intellectual property and then go and try to start their own exact off-market operation and like that breaks your heart you're like man you you really like broke into our server at our office and stole our information to go try to start like a competing company that sucks man i let you into my house i thought we were friends now you're doing me dirty. So like, you know, that breaks your heart. But if it's just wrong person, wrong seat, then, you know, you either find where they belong in the company or you just wish them good luck and you want to help them as quick as possible because you want them to find where they belong. So don't waste people's time. You know, if you know it's not a job suited for them, you just got to thank them for their time and send them on their way. So they get one step closer to their own dreams. You know, how did you handle that? How did um, someone break into what you've been building for? However long. Yeah, man. Uh, it just really bummed me out. Yeah. It, it just really bummed me out. It was, uh, 
you just don't think that it would happen to you, you know, with people that you consider friends and it hurt for a long time. And then we didn't talk for like four years. And then now we have recently, as of the last year, just like reconciled our relationship and we've cleared the air. And, uh, for me, it was just one of those things that like I needed time to go by. Um, and then I needed to be able to see it from more, from more than just the perspective of my own and be able to put myself in that shoes because people don't always steal from you because they want to, you know, like, uh, I don't think people are like breaking into your house because their life is good and that's their favorite hobby. You know, people yeah. are breaking in your house because their back is up against the wall and they have mouths to feed for, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, oops, sorry. um, yeah, usually people are in like, peculiar situations when they are like doing things uh, maliciously. So for me, it just took time and trying to put myself in their shoes. And as soon as I was ready to do that, I felt like I was ready to rekindle that relationship. And yeah, man, but I guess things like that happen. Yeah. That's yeah. life. Yeah. That, that happened to this guy we interviewed, Chef Zogi. I think he made like a million dollars that year. And then when he looked back at his books, there was like a hundred grand stolen. And he was like, hiring people that like probably would not be able to get a job like that and get paid that amount of money. So he was like, he thought that by letting it, giving his hand out and helping people that they wouldn't do him dirty like that. But unfortunately, like that's just not how people are. Yeah. It's a shame. You'd like to think that everybody has each other's best interest in mind. And then you realize that most people just have their own best interest in mind. And, um, it, you know, it bums you out. If you're a natural giver, it's always going to bum you out when you find out people are natural takers and they'll bleed you dry and then just move on to another host. But um, when you get better at like recognizing the patterns, because it typically happens in patterns, um, when you recognize the patterns, you can shut it down hopefully sooner. And then, um, you know, hopefully you just learn a lesson from getting uh, stolen from, you know, like I know I definitely did, which is why nowadays knock on wood it would probably be a lot harder to pull off what happened in the past just because i surrendered and delegated everything to the professionals you know why am i worried about cybersecurity when there's a company for that why am i worried about my books when there's a company for that you know so um it took surrendering letting the professionals do it and then once you do that it kind of takes away the uh control that maybe your staff or office could have when the like leadership and company infrastructure is more compartmentalized, you know? So like as long as sales guys are only worried about sales guys doing sales guys things, then hopefully they don't have the ability to steal a hundred grand out of your bank account because they're also doing your books and cutting checks or whatever, you know? So keeping everything, your role is your role, cut out the ability to like get stolen from as much, you know, cause it does bum me out because you trust people, especially if you're like a small team, mm -hmm. you know, you're like, yeah, we're a team. It's like 10 of us. We we're you know, whatever. Yeah. Like you get stoked and you're like, everybody is my bro. And then two years goes by and you, you know, you look at your books, you think you make a million bucks and a hundred grand's gone. And you're like, everybody is not my bro, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it bums you out, man. But hopefully it only happens once. Yeah. You know, as long as everything is a lesson. You know, yeah. you learn from it. 
Sorry about spilling coffee on your couch, bro. Oh, it's all good. We learned a lesson. Never put these like TV dinner things so close <laughs> to the chair while we're lifting it. It's all coffee. good. Yeah. While there's coffee sitting on them. But yeah, man, um, I just wanted to ask you personally, like, could you give us some advice as guys in the early 20s? I know you're you're not that much older than I am, and that's why I really like because there's people in our mastermind who are like literally twice my age and it seems like oh they were super successful and what got them to where they uh where they are today like sure the general principles do apply and the consistency and persistence they they do definitely apply but it's a different time you know what i mean so i think you could relate a lot more to us you know being in our early 20s because you're not too far from that point so i mean i'm currently scaling my team and we currently have seven people on our team and we implement media we do the wholesale and like my dad just joined our company as our full-time construction supervisor so we flip in-house so i don't know we're trying to get to be like a two million dollar company within the next 12 months from this past august to next august so just wondering if you had some advice right no doubt. Um, I mean, honestly, man, it sounds to me like you're scaling in the right direction. You know, um, all of us are pretty impatient, you know, yeah. like w- not only did we grow up in the digital age where we get things pretty damn quick. I mean, nowadays you order something on Amazon, it's at your door before the day's over. You know, um, we all want success overnight. But I mean, Jesse, how old are you? 23. 23, bro. And you've got seven people on your team. You guys have in-house flipping. You're doing media and marketing. You've got the travel and podcast. I mean, bro, you're crushing. Like, let 10 years go by at this natural trajectory that you're on. And you're going to look back and be like, oh, man, we have like 100 staff. And we're doing (laughs) 20 million a year. And now we're in 15 different states or we're nationwide. You know, like, even just the natural trajectory you're on. You're going to do great things, man. Uh, The best advice I could give is just don't give up. You know, most people make it so far, but they turn around at like the very end. You know, it's like that meme you see of like the dude digging for diamonds and like one dude's like one swing away, but he's given up and like walking the other direction and the other dude's still going and he's like one swing away about to hit the jackpot. If you just keep doing something for long enough, you're going to figure it out, you know, um, So I think for me, like I just knew at least the general direction of where I wanted to go. I didn't necessarily like I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I just know I want my bills covered, you know, but like I I never really knew the specifics. I just knew the direction that I wanted to go in. And every day I just tried to even if it was just one foot in front of the other, try to just make it a little bit closer to that goal. And it takes time, but it's just consistency, man. You know, you just get better and better at doing things the more you do it. So honestly, bro, like even if you did no more masterminds for the rest of your life and no personal coaching, whatever, even just at your natural hustle and age, give it 10 years, bro, your business will be 10x what it is today. So now that you are so open to masterminds, business coaching, et cetera, you're just like adding nitrous to that, you know, because partnerships are rocket ships if you use them the right way. So your business will most likely end up 10X in the next year 
just solely based on the things you're doing today. I mean, check it out. Y'all literally have a traveling podcast. We're in (laughs) Orlando, Florida, sitting in my office. We were just in Maui, Hawaii, like, what, 6,000 miles away on the other side of the earth from where we are right now, like a month ago at a mastermind. Like, that's the nitrous fuel that takes your business to the next level. So, honestly, bro, you're pointed in the right direction. Consistency. Anybody that's listening, it's just consistency. Just wake up, do it again. If today was a loss, maybe tomorrow will be a win. You just got to keep on doing it. Dude, that's freaking amazing. Josh, you got any last things you want to ask, Justin? Yeah. So what's like one daily step that us, that we can take as men to become a better man? Hmm, man, that's good. Damn, that was a fire question. Yeah. Good like, job, Josh. I feel like I want to like write that down on, I have a chalkboard by uh, the front door of my house that I always have a message on. So it's the last thing I see when I'm walking out. I think that's going to be my message next week. That's fire. Yeah. Um, what is one thing we can do every day to become better men? I think a lot of it has to do with telling the truth. Like that's like a problem that I find like trying to identify mental loops a lot is that like honesty will be the difference between like something that you say that is regrettable or something that you don't have to think about again because you told the truth and how you also frame the truth. So like, I think it's really hard to be honest with ourselves. Like that's something that I think we're just naturally programmed against like uh, doing, you know, like it's, it's, it's really hard to think about your own death Like the human brain is literally wired so that we can't obsess about our own death for very long periods at a time. Your brain will naturally like re-circuit somewhere else. And um, I never thought about that until like a friend who's like a psychologist or whatever told me about it. And I was like starting to experiment with it. And I was like, damn, you're right. Like literally like I can make it 30 seconds and then my mind wanders and jumps to something else. And they're like, yeah, like literally our, our brain is hardwired to make us avoid thinking about that. So I think also telling the truth and being honest with ourselves from a viewpoint that's not our own self is really hard because that requires us to be like super vulnerable and um, not have that ego shield because like the ego is kind of developed to like help us protect ourselves out in the wild outside of our tribe or within our tribe. So it's kind of weird, like just thinking about the science of how our brain is wired and then figuring out how to like unwire that because we all want to be honest, right? But if we're too honest, we're going to hurt people's feelings. We're going to lose all of our friends. We're never going to be able to keep a girlfriend. You know, like it's like if you're too honest and you don't frame things correctly, you're going to burn all your bridges. And also if you're maybe if you're too honest with yourself, you're going to like spiral into depression. But if you figure out how to be honest with yourself and your friends in a better way, you become a really good communicator. And if you become a good communicator, the possibilities are endless. If you can convey a vision to somebody, you can change the world. So if you can do that honestly, without spreading lies to the people that you're captivating or lying to yourself, then you'll become hopefully a better man and community leader. And sorry, I don't, I didn't even know the answer to your question, but like just thinking out loud, like I I imagine it all boils down to honesty. You know, and just trying to get better at it because yeah. our brain naturally wants to lie to protect us or protect other people. 
you know yeah, it's it's easy to lie yeah. yeah it's real easy to lie it's real easy to lie to ourselves to our friends to our yeah. loved ones even if somebody's just like what color is the sky today and you're like green you know like it's real easy but telling the truth is hard it's, and also a big part of the problem is figuring out how to frame it so mm. i don't know just thinking out loud yeah honesty i guess yeah i like that question though man i'm gonna go write that down on my chalkboard Dude, that's a good one thank you so much for like inviting us into your space and allowing us to have the podcast here and honestly like conversations like this just really encourage us to like keep on going because mm. it's just like oh my gosh like when josh and i were talking about making this podcast we were just like we just want to meet the most incredible humans with the most awesome mindsets that can literally help push us in the right direction because we know that the real real conversations are in person and if we just go out and go find these people then you know that's what's going to help us be one percent better you know or just take that one step forward every single day i mean like physically it didn't feel like we took a like one step forward having been in the car all day but honestly, yeah. be, being here and having this conversation with you made me feel like wow this day like you made our day you know you just found us to be here you guys real. made my day man i love doing this this podcast is awesome I hope we added some value for everybody that listens to this. And I'm happy to be on this podcast any day of the week, man. This is super fun. And now I get to take you all out to my favorite noodle house. Go get some pho. Get to show you my city. For anybody watching this, come see us in Orlando. It is awesome here. And I'm super excited to go show you my hood after this. It's awesome. So if people want to reach out to you or if you're looking, are you looking for anything in specific? Because I know you sent out that email to the people in the Maui group, I wanted to just open this up for people to reach out to you about uh, things in which they can help add value to your life and, you know, also have a conversation with you. Like, where could they reach out to you at? Yeah, no doubt. Um, pretty easy to get a hold of me. Uh, my Instagram is Flip Orlando. Uh, shoot me a DM. I will hopefully see it, get around to it. If not, my website is justinstamper.com. If you hit contact me, that goes straight to my iPhone and I try to respond to almost everything on there. Um, but yeah, man, I, let's see. I need help figuring out content is a tough one for me. Like if you're crazy good at social media, hit me up. I would love to talk about content. Uh, I would love to do more podcasts, you know, um, and then if anybody is listening and they're in the syndication and fund world, reach out because uh, I would love to talk about the ideas we got cooking up with that. And um, other than that, if people just want to chat real estate, I'm always happy to talk real estate. You know, real estate's really cool. We have so many like creative ways that we can do things that like the conversation never stops and it's always changing and always evolving. So I'm always happy to talk, especially when people know way more than we do. You know, it's nice to shut up and listen and get better at what we do. So, yeah, man, I'm happy to entertain any and all conversation. All right. Thanks a lot, Justin. Appreciate Absolutely, it. brother.